0: Well, thank you, Matt. Um, Yeah, my wife and I and our family have been here for just over a year now, and it's a little bit hard to believe it's been that long, and it also feels like we've been here a long time, so it's kind of one of those weird tensions. Um, But it's a great privilege that I get to be up here. I'm thankful for Matt and Brendan and the team that they've invited me to share with you some things that um, God's been stirring in my life uh, for actually a few years now, probably 10 years if I really had to break it down. But as I was preparing this, week for for teaching up here I got to be honest it was a struggle this week it was a struggle to really get my head around exactly what it was and where I was going I, I i knew the end goal but getting there was a struggle for me and i think it's fitting because what we're talking about this morning the passage we're looking at is a meal with jesus in light of mission how is that an acted mission and what i've really come to wrestle with in this time is that 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 mission begins and ends with grace. That experienced grace leads us to enacted grace. And so if you hear very little else this morning, that's the heart of what I want to say today. We're going to unpack that a little bit. I want to share some stories from Scripture of how people both respond positively to this and maybe some people that live in a way that's contrary to this and how Jesus responds to them. I want to share a story today of of my own life and this journey into this. But at the end of the day, this is is the message that I I feel like God's placed on my heart is that mission begins and it ends with grace. That, That as we experience grace as individuals and as a community, we are then given the ability and the power and the authority in Jesus' name to extend grace and enact grace and live as a people of grace. And then that in itself will lead others to experience God's grace. You know, I was sharing with my wife last night how I was still wrestling with um, exactly how this was going to go. I was just really uh, struggling to get the, the flow down, I would say. And she shared with me these words from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it's kind of cool. We've got kids in here today. Um, but this book isn't just for kids. The Storybook Bible has a really uh, cool way of talking about Jesus, talking about his mission. Because we're talking about mission today. Mission from beginning of the Bible to the end. Sometimes we, we like to think of mission and we think mostly of external um, outcome-based things. That's the way our world projects success. You know, it's numbers growth or it's, or it's actions committed. But, but the big picture story of the Bible is that, that God made people for relationship. He made people that, that he wanted to have a people of his own that would worship him, that would love him, that would be, enjoy a relationship with him. He, he, in the very beginning of the scripture, he, he gives them the authority over creation. And he says, everything I've made is a gift to you, except for one thing. He said, there was one thing that I am not giving as gift, and it's this tree of knowledge and good and evil. I, I don't think we're surprised to find that we didn't obey. It takes all of three chapters for us to get to the point where, where we feel shame as people, where we see our nakedness, we see that, that we aren't right with God anymore because we've taken something that he didn't give as a gift. But the rest of the story is, is God's heart to rescue people. God doesn't give up on people when we walk away from him. And that's what I love about this it really the Old Testament in this in this book in in this kids version of the Bible talks about Jesus as the rescuer. And that is what he is. That's what we sing about that he is the rescuer. And so last night Katie came down from putting our kids to bed and she said, "Well, this is what I read tonight. Maybe it fits with what you're talking about." This is this is Apart from Luke, or a lot of the Gospels share these stories of Jesus being baptized and then going out to the desert and experiencing temptation. And then he comes out of the desert and he's ready to launch into ministry, into mission, to really put action to the things of the rescue mission that he's on. I just love the way it says this. It says, Jesus left the desert and he set out the great rescue. He was going to get God's people back. But first he needed to find some helpers and friends. He had a lot to do. He would need some people to help him. Who would make good helpers, do you think? Clever ones? Rich ones? Strong? Important ones? Some people might think so. But I'm sure by now, you don't need me to tell you that they'd be wrong. Because the people God used don't have to know a lot of things and have a lot of things. They just have to need him a lot. The people that God will use don't have to know a lot of things or have a lot of things. You just need to need them a lot. When we think about mission, at least in my life when I've thought about mission and how that plays out in my own life, it's easy to let the focus shift from God's desire to rescue people to my own importance in the journey. And we're going to read a story of Jesus at the table with Pharisees And how they seek the places of honor. But before we do that, um, would you pray with me? Jesus, we trust that you're in this place now. And I ask that your words would be louder than mine. That your word would go out and not come back empty. That you would remind us of who we are and whose we are today. And that that would move us to live differently in this world. Not to earn anything from you, but, but in response to what you've given. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is from Luke 14. We've been reading through the book of Luke as a community. And um, one of the things, if you've been kind of tracking along with that, uh, one of the things I've noticed is that Jesus has a lot to say about the heart. You know, the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the Jewish people, they were really into uh, having the external things taken care of. They followed those strict rules of the Torah, all the cleanliness rules. And and Jesus often found himself kind of getting in trouble with the Pharisees because he wouldn't wash his hands before dinner. Maybe you kids get in trouble with your mom because you don't do that. I don't know. But Jesus... Jesus was about something deeper than washing our hands before dinner. He was interested in in the transformation of the heart. So one Sabbath, this is Luke 14, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. So taking the man, hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And again, they said nothing. When they noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told this parable. When someone invites you to the wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then Then you will be honored in the presence of your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself... Will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We're going to stop there for right now. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. As I was reading the chapters before this in Luke, I was kind of struck by the people that, that really experienced um, and encountered Jesus in some powerful ways. And it seemed to me that a lot of them that Jesus kind of gave the spotlight to, that he kind of highlighted, are people of great humility. I think of the Good Samaritan story where there's an injured person and the priest and the Levite, the ones that would be important in that society, that would have honor in that society, they they skirt around. But the Samaritan, the one the Jewish people would have least expected to be the hero of the story, is the one that does what God desires and has mercy. I think of the the Roman centurion. He's a Roman. Certainly not the one that should be the hero of the story. But he comes to Jesus and he says, I have servants under me and I have one that's sick. And if you would just say the word, don't even come to my house. I'm not worthy of that. If you say the word, he can be healed. because, Because I know that when I say to my people that work under me to do something, they'll just do it. And and without even having Jesus come to his house out of humility, this Roman servant or this Roman centurion acknowledges that Jesus is capable of doing things beyond our imagination, and and there's healing that takes place. I think of the story of Zacchaeus, where, where Jesus is walking in a crowded street and he notices a man that climbed a tree, a man that's a tax collector that would have been considered a traitor to the Jewish people. Because he had aligned himself with the Romans. And Jesus notices him and invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, something that no rabbi would think of doing. They wouldn't consider being involved with somebody like Zacchaeus. But the result of his connection with Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus' heart changes. And that leads Zacchaeus to change the way he lives. See, the Pharisees in this story, they're, they're trying to get to this place of honor at the table. They're buying for this place of honor and kind of jockeying back and forth. They're so concerned about what it looks like on the outside that they forget what it is happening on the inside. I think if we're honest, we do the same thing. We care a lot about what the outcomes of our activities might be, and sometimes we get mixed up in why we're even doing them. So why mission? We've talked about what the mission is. It's, it's God's mission to rescue people. But why mission? We have to ask that question if we're going to really follow Jesus into his mission. Because until we understand that, that Jesus is looking for a people that are ready to humble themselves before him, until we get to that place where, where we've received grace, I don't know that we can really extend grace. But as we receive grace, as we understand ourselves before God as people in need, then he, he gives us authority and power to call that same thing out in others, in people that might be far away. For me, this journey really started 10 years ago. Um, it was the summer of 2008. I had graduated high school, and I took a trip, a missions trip, down to Ecuador. Ecuador. And while we were there, we as a group, there's about 40 of us, um, experienced some pretty profound and amazing movements of the Holy Spirit. Things I hadn't experienced there since before then, and and some of them I haven't really experienced since. Um, There was some healing, physical healing. There was lives being transformed within our group and lives around us that were being transformed and hearts that were being changed. And it was an amazing experience. But I came home, and I came home in this time of transition between high school and college where I was changing a lot of the activities I was in because I was going off to college, and I had questions, more questions than answers at that time. Questions like, why did I experience this there and I don't see it here? Questions like, why why does God do that in that place? Am I supposed to do all those things here now? I remember one, I think it was an afternoon, I was in my room, and this was before I headed off to college. Um, I remember just sitting there and praying, and prayer is something that takes a lot of work for me. It's not like I naturally just love to sit and pray. I wish I could say I did, but it takes a lot of effort and choice to, to really sit down and, and dwell with Jesus. But I was, I was sitting down in that moment, I remember praying, God, I want to know you not just in my head, but I want to know you in my heart even if it hurts. I tagged that on there. I don't know why I did. I mean, I guess it's a good thing to tag on. But that was the journey that led into the next six to nine months of my life, was a journey that was very painful because God drew me through a period where I questioned every bit of what I believed. And in that questioning, it led to my own anxiety because I wanted to control all the answers to it. And it led to a place where I was struggling with depression because I didn't know up from down anymore because I had grown up knowing about Jesus. And all of a sudden, it didn't make sense. But it was in those deep and hard places that that I truly feel like I encountered grace. And I came to understand that my identity was not built on the things I did for God, but on the cross that God gave up for me. And I don't know that we can really move towards the mission of Jesus until we move ourselves to that place. Till we move ourselves to the place where we've submitted ourselves to the cross. Where we've claimed that Jesus is Enough. We talk about grace a lot, but we're so easy, like the Pharisees are, to want the place of honor and to want to feel in control and have that importance in our own faith walk. I'm doing good things for God. I struggled with that. Going off to college, I had these grand ideas about what I was going to bring to that place. And what happened was I was completely humbled. But the beauty is, is there's grace in the story. Because the next parable that Jesus goes on to tell the same audience, the same group of Pharisees, is the parable of the banquet in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus tells this parable of how there's this master of a house that wants to throw a giant banquet. And he invites these important guests, the people, the people that represent the Jewish people of the day. And his servants go out and say, you know, everything is ready. All has been prepared. Now come to the banquet. And those people that had thought so highly of themselves on the outside were so busy with their life that they didn't even come. And so the master, in his disgust, says, okay, then you're going to go out in the streets and you're going to invite the poor and the crippled and the lame. You're going to invite the least of these, those that would never expect to get an invitation. And they come. And and then the servants say there's still room, and so he says, Go even farther. Go out to the country roads. This in that day they would read this and they would hear this as go to the Gentiles. That's bold. Go to the people that are outside of the people of God and invite them in. And the house is filled. See, there's grace in that the same invitation goes to each of us. Come to the table. And the invitation isn't earned, the invitation isn't merited, it's grace. It's what we don't deserve. But when we respond to that invitation, can you imagine those people that had been pushed to the outsides their whole life responding to that invitation and maybe like skipping along like my five-year-old does to the party saying, hey, I got the invitation. Won't you come along with me? I got the invitation to the banquet. when our heart understands that we need to receive grace first, then we begin to enact grace in our life because there's nothing else we can do. Our culture has taught us that our value is in our performance. It's taught us that the outcomes of what we do is how we should measure how much we're worth. And the kingdom of heaven is backwards. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom God preaches... The kingdom that Jesus brought here and now is one that says you're valued because you bear my image. Because through Jesus, I've made you right again with me. Children, that means you have value as members of the kingdom today. Not someday when you have the answers and you grow up. That means older folks, you're not past the point in life where you have something to offer. You haven't completed it yet. Because it's not about doing enough. It's about responding to the fact that Jesus calls us his children. What joy there is in that. When we realize that, the fear of, of communicating and getting to know people that are different than us fades away. Because no longer their opinion of us doesn't change our identity. The fear of being looked at as a weirdo or, or different goes away because, because we know who we are. And that's that we're children of God. But this journey takes heart work. It takes wrestling with our identity and what it is that we find our worth in. For me, that was a hard journey. I don't know where you're at on it. I think there's a couple places you can be at in that journey. You can be at a place where where maybe you think, like the Pharisees, that that you've got it together on the outside. I've been there. There's not condemnation for you today, but there's an invitation to surrender that, to fall before Jesus and say, I still need you. And maybe you're in a place where where you don't feel even worthy to fall before Jesus because of your life. Maybe you feel like the the ones that are at the country roads, the Gentiles that are far away that had been pushed away for so long. There's no condemnation, but there's an invitation. It's the same one come to Jesus. And as we come and we encounter His grace, it will lead us to change our lives. It's like we put on a different set of glasses and we start to see the whole world differently because we've experienced the love of God, all of a sudden we want nothing more than for others to experience that love. And so our our judgment and condemnation of other people, whether they are different than us, agree with us, live like us or don't, goes away. And in place of it comes this profound grace. We're no longer threatened by the world, but we grow compassion for the world. We're not trying to keep the world from contaminating us. We have the best thing in the world to offer. The very hope Of life is what we have to offer. And so it changes everything. It changes how we go to school, how we sit around the table at lunch at work, and how we engage the people in our ordinary everyday lives. It changes the decisions we make about what we value, who we invite to our homes the places we're willing to walk. All of a sudden, our perspective isn't about building our own little kingdom and keeping things safe, but it's about experiencing God's grace and extending it to others. It's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's something that that he brings us all into. And the beautiful thing about it, and I'm going to come back to If I can find it, I'm bad at these things. I'm going to come back to what I started with. Is that mission begins and ends with grace. That as we experience the grace of God, it's going to lead us to enact grace in our lives. And as we do that, others are going to experience God's grace. And we are going to experience a fresh amount of God's grace. Because we get to join him in what he's doing. See, the message that Jesus gives to the Pharisees is that those that exalt themselves and think highly of themselves are going to be humbled, and those that are humbled are going to be exalted. When we humble ourselves to God's grace, he invites us to participate in his mission, a mission of rescuing the world, something that we have no business being part of apart from God inviting us. Something we cannot do on our own, but we get invited into as a privilege. Hard? Some days. Challenging? Yes. Stretching? For sure. But an adventure and awesome beyond belief? Yes. All right. I'm going to invite the band back up. I invited you this week... um, in the E News, and I don't know who, who might have taken advantage of it, but I, I said to ponder um, Psalm 51. And so we're going to take a few minutes here. The band's going to get ready behind us, and we're going to just dwell a little bit in parts of Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is written by David, and it's written after he had really done some messed up things. He had really, he had really blown it. And so he he writes, and and the journey through the psalm goes from confession and repentance. Confession is, is admitting our fault. Repentance is then the desire to turn from it. Not just staying and wallowing in that I did something wrong, but saying, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you to help me go another direction. Into restoration. And then his response. So we're going to dwell in a few parts of it. I just invite you in this time to be quiet. Enjoy the grace of Jesus. Think about what it is that Jesus is inviting you to join him in. Um, So this is some of your space. I'll pause a few times in between just giving you space. (sniffs) Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Jesus, we confess that we are people in need of your grace. David goes on to say, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain us. Jesus, we receive grace from you. May it move our hearts to live differently. What is it you would have for us? How can we do that in our everyday life? And then David goes to this. He goes to this point. He says, then then, as you give me that willing spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Jesus, may your grace move us to action may we not ever think that the things we do bring us close to you but that that who you are and what you've done lead us in a response of grateful obedience to follow you to trust you to sacrifice and in doing so god i trust that we will find hope and joy and love and goodness, the fruit of the very Spirit that you give us, the fruit of the Spirit that you promise will dwell within us, will bubble up and the world will see how different it is to be your child. So let that be true of us, God, that we would be humble enough to admit that we need your grace. All right, we're going to close with a song here. And this is a song that um, I grew to love at my time at Calvin. And Dwight might make some jokes about how he can't sing this because it's, you know, he's a hope guy. But I just think he's jealous. So. (laughs)